Thank you for listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help you win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, come and see us and join the Passion Church family. Visit our Facebook page or our website at passionchurchmo.com to find out more about us. Numbers 13, we're going to go to the same, kind of the same place we went last week, only we're going to um, start in a different spot. So chapter 13, this is where the spies were sent into Canaan land under Moses. Last week we talked about whether it's 10 to 2 or 2 to 10. You know, 10 came with an evil report, 2 came with a positive report. We're going to start with that positive report. Chapter 13, verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants and the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Now, you see how they interjected, just because they're thinking small, they think that the enemy's thinking small. Of course, history records, and you'll find it later, that when Joshua goes in to finally take the land, that the inhabitants of the land said, we've lived in 40 years of fear that you all would come across the river. Verse four, chapter 14, verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? Remember, I showed you last week, you know, how they wanted to go back as slaves. Verse 4. And they said to one another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. That just messes with me. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of that fellow there, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. And if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel ye not against the Lord, neither fear ye uh, the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. In other words, they wanted to stone the messengers. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children 
of Israel. And then, of course, Moses goes on as God speaks a little bit of anger towards the children of Israel for provoking him instead of believing the true report. I intended today to have a visual up here, and I totally forgot. I was going to bring a bunch of stones out of my uh, little uh, landscaped area in front of my house and dump them all over the, the floor up here just to show you that if you're going to be a messenger for God, you better get ready for those who aren't happy with your message. If you're going to stand strong in faith and believe, if you're going to trumpet revival, you better be ready for those who, who those naysayers who just cannot have the faith that they need to go from point A to point B. A lot of people have a hard time. The word says that the just shall live by faith. A lot of people come to this altar because they want their sins forgiven, but very few people go on and truly live a life of faith, believing that whatever God has said, God will deliver on. Oftentimes, if something doesn't turn out the way that we think it should, we wrestle and we vacillate back and forth trying to keep our faith intact. When faith itself is really been given to us by God, we've been given God, uh, been given faith by God. It's a gift from God. Every man has the measure of faith. And that faith can grow as we trust in God, as we prove him more and more and more. Our faith can, can come to that place where it's not always such a contention to just simply believe him. But in the beginning, oftentimes as babes, it's a little bit of a, a, a work for us to get our faith to the place that we can just believe God for what it is that he said. We have to understand that there's a slave mentality with the children of Israel. They've not had to trust God. They've been trusting on Egypt. They've been trusting on those around them to feed them even though they're treating them as slave labor and and abusing them and they're underneath the 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 whip of a taskmaster it's easier for them to just stay in that mentality and go back as a prisoner to what they came out of than it is to stand and believe that God can open a red sea than to believe that God can give you the strength to whip a giant and send him for the hills. In their mind, they can't fathom that because of their slave mentality. They see themselves as grasshoppers. They're used to being beat down. What they don't understand is the protection for the enemy has been wiped away by God Almighty. And you are the ones who are walking in his favor because that land was promised to Abraham. And you being the seed of Abraham, now a nation are going back to the place that God promised your forefather that you would dwell and all you got to get down inside of you is a righteous indignation to let you know somebody's squatting on your land. Mm. I've come to Cameron to let people know somebody's squatting in our land and he doesn't belong here. There is a dark entity in this nation or in this city that is squatting here and holding people bound and holding people in captivity. Boy, I'm about ready to preach now. Holding people in captivity who doesn't have a right. He's making you sick. He's making you broke. He's making you disgusted with life. He's bringing you to a place where you often wrestle within yourself. Is life really worth living? Well, I want you to know the squatter doesn't have a right to dwell in the land of the promise. You are the seed of Abraham. You are a child of the Most High God. You have a right to be all that God would have you to be. If God says it's your land, then what in the world are you doing letting the devil squat in your land? 
man, this ain't even my message. Mm-hmm. If we're supposed to be the revival center of this city, what are we doing letting the devil come in here and hold our arms down in worship? Oh, come on, come on. We're going somewhere. What are we doing letting the devil talk us into sickness and disease and heartache and trouble? He doesn't have a right to be here. He's squatting. He does not have a legal right. But you and I, baby, by the heir of adoption, we hold papers that say it belongs to the children of the Most High God. And you, devil, get out, get out, get out, get out. Mm. What's the devil doing squatting on your finances? What's the devil doing squatting on your financial situation? He does not have a right. If you're being obedient and sowing the seed of faith, he has no right. Run him out. Mm, Man, I'm having fun. So here's the deal. The people... Instead of believing the two who said there are squatters in our land and they are nothing and it's a good land. You ever spied out something and you just wanted it? Enough you salivated over it. Kind of like me at the pizza bar. Come on. (laughs) Dan, have you ever had that piece of farm machinery you just mm, gotta have? You ever had one of those Hemi motors you just had to have? You ever you ever just had to have that woman you just had to have? <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't explain them. I just do them. Listen. They were given the choice to receive a good report as a whole or a bad report. They had a business meeting. Sound familiar? They had a business meeting. And here's the business at hand. Give us the report. What's it look like over there? Oh, look at the fruit. They come back with grapes between two men hung on a pole. They said, look at that. I don't know what it really looked like, but in my mind, those grapes were the size of grapefruit. (laughs) <laughs> they come in there pomegranates two, two men carrying one banana come on it's a land flowing on milk and honey oh I feel like Winnie the Pooh mm, get my hand in the jar extravagant They're looking into the land and they're seeing the promise of God. And Caleb's going, I can't wait to get back and tell them. And Joshua, who's still a youth, goes, "Mm -hmm. yeah, can't wait, can't wait, can't wait. And the rest go, it's awesome, it's awesome. They're all shouting, this is a great place. And then somebody walks by. I feel like a grasshopper. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know how this went from serious to crazy. 
I'm just going to go with it. Little Jiminy Cricket going on here. (laughs) But the moment they got it in their mind, we're not big enough, they forgot all about the promise. And that's what the enemy is a master at, is getting us to look at the situation instead of the promise. The situation says death. The promise says life. And sometimes because the situation is more tangible, it's easier to believe the situation than the promise. Because the promise is still an intangible. The promise is a promise and it hasn't fleshed out yet. And so without having something I can tangibly grab, it makes the promise Hard to believe if you have a slave mentality. Golly, I've got to get with this. And so they're given the choice to choose the good report or the evil report. They chose as a whole the evil report. And they let fear rise up. Could you throw the first screen up there for me, if you would? This is our message title today. Options. A or B. Options. A or B. Now, an option is a freedom or a power or a right to choose. The children of Israel obviously were given the right by God to choose which report they wanted to believe, but they didn't believe the one that God intended for them to believe, which thwarted the situation and caused an entire generation to miss what they could have had. They could have had those grapes. They could have had those pomegranates. They could have had it all. They could have built their dwellings in their land promised to Abraham. They had all the power and might they needed. They had the strong arm of God. He'd already made Egypt bow its knee. What made them think that he couldn't make a giant bow? (laughs) So, today, will it be option A... Or option B. Option A, they were given a choice. Believe and receive. Or B, shrink back in fear and receive nothing. Option A, go into the land of milk and honey and enjoy the fruit of the land. Option B, murmur and complain and remain on the welfare system of manna from God. Option A, live in your own land. Option B, die. In no man's land. Are you following my line of thinking? A, be a testimony for God. For the whole world to know that our God by his mighty strong strong arm did not only make Egypt bow, but he made Canaan bow. Mm. Or, be a test for God for 40 years in the wilderness. 
In Exodus, the 20th chapter, the 18th verse, it talks about how the children of God came to Mount Sinai after they left Egypt. So that was before this particular setting that's happening here in Numbers. They've been a slave now for 400 years as a nation. They came in as a family, left as a nation. And the first place Moses took them was to meet their God. You've heard about him, but I've met him. You've heard about him through handed down oral tradition, but I knelt before his burning bush and was in his presence and met him. I've walked with him. He's hid me in the cleft of the rock. I've seen the glory in the hinder parts of God. He has shared with me the truth of his statutes. I know that he is real. I know that he is powerful. I know that he is tender. I know that he is kind. And you need to meet your God. And at Mount Sinai, they were invited to come up and meet with their God. But when they got there, the mountain quaked. There was dark cloud cover to hide the glory of God because no man can look upon him visually in the natural and live because sin cannot live in holiness. <laughs> Lightning struck around his throne and around his habitation there upon Mount Sinai. Thunder roared in the heavens around them. The ground shook. God showed up to let them know, I'm the God of great power. What made them think when they got on the other side of Canaan that the God that shakes the mountain can roll with peals of thunder when he speaks? It's like the voices of a raging uh, torrent. Who in the world in their right mind could think that a God who can shake an entire mountain can't bring down a wall and run off a giant? I'm having fun. This will preach. So here's their options. Come up the mountain into the presence of God and know him as he is. Walk in the power and the majesty of a God that can shake the mountains. Open an ocean. Come on. A God who can cause plagues and make the vilest enemy bow at your feet and hand you the spoils of the one who imprisoned you in the first place. When they got there, they were given the choice. A, come up the mountain into the presence of God. Or B, let's just let Moses go up. Let's just let Moses go up. Option A, let's build a relationship with God. Let's know him as he is. Option B, let's be spoon-fed theology by someone else. Let's just let Moses come back and tell us what he's like. Let's just let Moses do all the work, and we'll just receive whatever Moses says. Now, you know that's a lie. They fought Moses every step of the way. They despised Moses because it is hard to have respect for human flesh because human flesh is filled with weakness. And God wanted them to come up and see what it's like to be in the presence of a holy presence. 
Someone who doesn't have a sin factor. Somebody who can empower you to do things you never thought you could ever do. Someone who's got your back. Someone who will fight for you. But they chose B to be spoon-fed their theology by Moses. They were given option A, show God your thankfulness. Go in and let him know how much you appreciate what he's done. Or they could choose uh, option B, rebel and give his name to an idol. Rebel and attach his name to a dead idol and claim that as your God. And so much of the church is like the children of Israel at Sinai. Mm. <laughs> in verse 18 in chapter 20 of Exodus, when he, God, wasn't the quiet little gods of Egypt, they stood afar off because he's noisy. And he vibrates, and he shakes, and he thunders. He's just too much. <laughs> I hate to say it, but church, it's no different today. We back off if the house is too noisy. If the atmosphere is rowdy or militant, we don't know what to do with it. If people are overwhelmed and fall to the floor, we think something is strange. If someone shouts, we all break our neck to look and see who's shouting. If there's a demand put on our faith, then all of a sudden it becomes unfair and we become complexed and perplexed and don't know what to do. If someone speaks in an unknown tongue, we just think it's strange and stamp it as though it's a cult and run out the door, even though the New Testament is filled with the glory of God. And even the Old Testament points to the day when God will bypass man's inability to pray right and help him as his prayer partner to pray the perfect will of God into his life. <laughs> the church of Jesus Christ has become a bunch of crawfish. Oh, I'm, I'm just laying it out today. We're always backing up. Backing up. Backing up. I'm talking about the church universal. Backing up. Backing up. We don't want to approach God's presence. Let's, let's back up a little bit. Let's get a better look at it. We stand off. We can see him better. Because if I get too close, things might get a little out of focus for me. I might get a little too close and vibrate a little bit. I might get a little too close and get overwhelmed. Whoa, boom. I might get there and stand in his presence and suddenly my language is transformed into something I've never heard before. I might stand in his presence and that sickness and disease that, that I've, I, I've coddled and, and talked about and put out there in all my Facebook posts uh, suddenly is healed. Now i got nothing for people to feel sorry for me about. That deceived little fella is just all getting in our business. I want you to understand that when God gives you an invitation, it's never to back up or crawfish. It is always move forward. God is a God of advancement. God is a God of forward movement. God is a God of forward momentum. He said, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In Numbers, God is trying to fulfill his promise to Israel that he gave to Abraham about a land flowing with milk and honey. But by Exodus 33, God's still offering them his blessing while they murmur and complain and despise their situation. And what is there to despise? Option A, live as free men. 
Or option B, return to slavery. Mm. Repeatedly, God gets aggravated at their stiff-necked rebellion. This crawfish bunch want the blessing of the Lord without it costing them anything. Should I say that again? This crawfish bunch wants the blessing of the Lord without any cost to them. They complain about the manna and the quail and the welfare system while they wander a nomadic life. They want their own land and they want to stop wandering, but they want the promise of God at no cost to them. Don't make us fight for it, God. We just want you to drop it on us. In 2018, the church of Jesus Christ finds itself in the same situation. We enjoy the welfare system of Jesus. Huh, don't we? We love salvation. We love justification. We love marinating in his healing and his signs and his wonders. We love his adoption, his advocacy, his protection, his blessing, his financial security, and his eternal life. But don't ask me to stand in worship. Don't ask me to raise my hands. Don't ask me to be expressive. Don't ask me to work the nursery or to usher or to greet or to work in the parking lot or altar service or to pay my tithe. Don't ask me to pray for the sick or hug an addict. Don't ask me to share a testimony or go to hospital visitation or nursing home visitation. Don't ask me to read the word. Don't ask me to take a class. Don't ask me to suffer a little persecution. Don't ask me to go visit a prisoner in prison. I just want the blessing of Golly, what is wrong with preachers that meddle? Don't you tune me out. I ain't done yet. Option A, fall crazy in love with Jesus at any cost. Or option B, let's just get the benefits at no cost. I'm getting ready to close. John, the fifth chapter, the first through the eighth verse. You can go there if you want to. I'm not going to read, but I am going to just share the story with you. You can read it later. A man with an infirmity that impeded his mobility, he seemed to be slow in his movement, had believed a story of folklore, which Jesus did did not refute, so it must have had some truth in it. That people would come by the pool called Bethesda. And at certain seasons, an angel of the Lord would touch the water and stir it. And when he did, the first person who could get into that water would be healed. Now, Jesus never refuted that, so it had to be true. Why God chose to do it that way, I don't know, other than he was always trying to save Israel. Always trying to help. Always trying to get them out of their stiff-necked ways. And Jesus happened upon this man. And here he is laying by the pool. And the the narrative tells us that he he laid there for 38 years. Now, he had to have some mobility because he had to come there every day. I'm sure he didn't lay in that spot 38 years. So he must have had some way of getting there or someone who could help transport him. But he was so limited in his mobility that every time the water was stirred, he couldn't get to the water in time for his healing. Now, you tell me someone who believes a story for 38 years, gets there for 38 years, has been there 38 years, don't have some measure of faith? Mm. 
But I love when Jesus got to him, he asked him a question. And the question, you've heard, some of you have heard me preach this before, but the question wasn't, are you ready to get healed? The question was, will you be healed? Will you be healed? Jesus is putting a demand on this man to have faith in something besides an angel stirring the water. <laughs> he says, wilt thou be made whole? That's the way it says it in King James. He didn't say, do you want me to heal you? He didn't say, do you want healing? He said, will you be healed? Will you be free? Will you be free, man, if your healing comes in a different way than you expect? If I require something of you, such as take up your bed and walk, will you be healed? If I call you out and say, you quit your sinning, can you receive that in order to get your healing? If grumpy church folks criticize your healing or doubt the man that laid hands on you and call him a heretic, are you going to let that rob you of the healing that you have received? When you're pressed on by a religious crowd of how you got that healing, are you going to just praise God and let it go in one ear and out the other? Or will you be robbed? Will you receive? Can you be healed? If... I heal you, and you have to go back to work for a living. If I heal you, and you have to go back to work for a living. <laughs> She's trying to drive a home to somebody. I don't know who. Listen. God. If he's going to heal you, he doesn't want you to just sit on your hands and show up to church on Sunday morning and do nothing with it. You need to start telling everybody. Tell everybody what God has done. I know somebody in here who's got the lung capacity now to tell everybody what God has done. I know somebody in here now that has the ability to shout what God has done. Not only that, but use the natural giftings that God has given her to teach somebody else that God's a healer and he'll do what he said he'll do. So option A. Mm -hmm. Do we keep revival alive and stirred? Or option B, do we shout for a couple of weeks and go back to life as usual? Oh, did I, did I, did I, did I lay that out clear enough? Keep revival alive and stirred, option A, or option B, shout for a couple of weeks and go back to life as usual. Option A, move forward with God's promises. Option B, murmur and complain that it's just too costly. Now listen, you may think I'm going overboard and silly, but I'm telling you something. 
I've been in revival moves before that within six months' time, everybody who was shouting in the beginning are now going, how long? How long? How long is this going to take? Like King Julian in that little movie. Madagascar. If you haven't watched it, watched it. Watched it. Option A, we win a region and put Jesus' name on the lips of everyone in that region. Or option B, just settle down. Wait for God to send an angel of revival to stir the waters here. (laughs) Option A, give God our all at home and church and wherever we are. Option B, be lethargic and hope for the best. Option A, be a part of God's great commission and turn our world upside down. Or option B, let one more generation pass without knowing there is a God. And he's so powerful and he's mighty and he's awesome and beyond words and that he's crazy in love with them. Option A. Do we want revival at any cost? Option B. Or can we be happy without revival? Would you throw the next screen up there? Today I'm asking you to choose an option. A is revival. B is to just stay apathetic. Oh, it'll be what it'll be. It'll be God's kept us this long. Or are we going to take what we already have and know and, and change the atmosphere of our city? Change the atmosphere starting with our church. Change the atmosphere inside these walls before we take it outside. I want people to walk into here. I don't want just one person to bring in an oxygen tank and then not have to leave with it. I want to line them up across the front of this place. I want to hang crutches on the walls. I want wheelchairs emptied. I want God to do what God wants to do. I want people weeping at these altars until we have to build more altars. I want people I want people to come in here who are ready to worship. People who are already prayed up when they walk through the door. Who are already experiencing revival before they pull into the parking lot. And when they hit the parking lot, you can feel the power of God beginning to emanate outside of the building because there's a prayer team on the inside of the building that's not lazy and lethargic but able to come into the house of God and lift up his name and begin to cry out. I want intercessors who already know the atmosphere before the people arrive. I want people in this place to be poised and ready and the gifts of God to be loose so that they can move throughout the congregation and touch everyone at the point of their need. You see, I'm one man with one set of gifting but everyone in here, if we multiply one to the other and we work one with another and we uphold one another and we back one another, and we honor one another. There's no stopping what God can do. And this revival that's about to start tonight in Maysville uh, can be uh, the starting uh, of another region that's beginning to catch on fire for Jesus Christ. Uh, If we'll uphold our part of the bargain, there's nothing that can keep us from turning our city upside down for the cause of Jesus. There's nothing keeping us away from our promise. All we got to do is run the squatter off of our land and let him know No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. You will leave in the name of Jesus.
We're so glad you listened to this message today. Our goal is to bring hope, encouragement, and help you win, all while building God's kingdom. At Passion Church, we believe in community. If you would like to partner with us in prayer or giving, then send us a message on Facebook or through our website, passionchurchmo.com. We'd love to hear how God is impacting your life through this ministry. 